and this is Founder Coffee. Every two weeks, I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk, getting to know the person behind the company. For this 18th episode, I talked to Brian Cho of Webflow, one of the leading website building platforms in the world. After working at Intuit, the company behind QuickBooks and Mint and other software, and then launching his own startup in mobile advertising, Brian co-founded Webflow to bring responsive design capabilities to website builders. We talk about Webflow's infinitely large roadmap, how it's like to combine being a first-time parent with having a growth company, the regret minimization framework, and the importance of faster product market fit. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi, Brian. Great to have you on Founder Coffee. Hey, Jerome. Nice to meet you. It's awesome to be here. You're the founder of uh, Webflow. For those who don't know Webflow yet, what does your company exactly do? Yeah, so Webflow is a web design and web publishing platform. Um, so we have a tool that is unlike, you know, the WYSIWYG builders like Dreamweaver um, and Wix and Weebly. We, we have a tool that essentially um, abstracts away the complexity of code, so specifically mm -hmm. HTML and CSS. So, you know, this is, you know, a product that before Webflow didn't really exist. You know, a lot of products like Dreamweaver made it really easy for people to draw circles and squares and then magically it would turn it into HTML and CSS. But kind of in the age of responsive design and, you know, mobile apps and mobile websites, you know, it, th that approach, you know, eventually broke down. So we really started um, writing the back of the responsive web design movement back in, you know, early 2010, early 2012. And uh, we built the tool as like a responsive first um, web design tool. And then from there, we kind of evolved the, our tools. We, we evolved past static web pages like landing pages. We added a CMS. It's the world's first visual CMS. And now essentially the platform is the culmination of um, a lot of the initial ideas that we had around Webflow, which is to empower anyone to build software visually. So we're focusing on the web for now, but really Webflow in its current iteration is essentially a modern day WordPress mixed with, you know, Photoshop has the design flexibility, the web design flexibility of a powerful tool like Photoshop um, combined with the web platform and web publishing capabilities of the WordPress. Yeah. So what are kind of some of the craziest thing you can build in, in, in Webflow? Oh, man. So <clears throat> we had a YC founder create a database of all the YC companies. Um, I think there's over 1,500 companies. And <clears throat> it had all of these custom fields. It showed, you know, like the founders. It was essentially this massive directory. We also had this T-shirt company um, run their entire e-commerce store on top of Webflow. And um, this this t-shirt company had over 30,000 products and they're generating over $30 million uh, in revenue a year. So, you know, people are building really crazy, powerful things. Um, and people are also building really basic things too, just like portfolios and you know, 
basic business websites. So we're also coming out with Webflow e-commerce uh, next week. So uh, in the middle of November, um, it's really going to be the first e-commerce platform that comes out that is of the modern age. Like our e-commerce platform will give you the ability to build bespoke e-commerce websites um, completely visually. So you don't need to hire a developer to go in and modify your Shopify templates. You can go in and build completely customizable checkout flows. Um, you're talking about like the same sort of functionality that a Magento site may have that costs you know fifty to a hundred thousand dollars to build. Um, but you can build it in a span of a few days or a week in Webflow. Yeah. So it's kind of like uh, like a Squarespace for personal websites or an Unbounce for landing pages, but then much more advanced because you can put exactly. databases behind it, et cetera. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's it's not necessarily the audience of a mom and pop or, you know, like the typical um marketer that doesn't really know the foundations of code so you know the, the main sort of cohorts of customers that use us are startups um you know i think like very large proportion of yc companies um use webflow for their marketing sites all the way to um you know agencies and freelancers so those are the ones that we actually um see a lot of success with yeah got it cool uh, how how is it that you got to the idea of building webflow when when was the exact spark where where were you yeah, so yeah vlad vlad who's the ceo and my co-founder um actually had webflow um as his senior thesis pro uh, project back in college so it was a idea that was kind of in the back of his head for a really long time. And for me, um, I've been a product builder for you know the past 10 years. And I mainly specialized in back-end technology and front-end like coding HTML and CSS. This was literally, I, I felt like it was the worst part of my job or the worst part of building a product. I just thought it was incredibly obtuse I thought the technologies of writing CSS and HTML are just unnecessarily complicated. And I thought that like, you know, coming from mobile development, if you use, you know, the Android builder, or if you use um, interface builder with Xcode for Apple, like you're accustomed to really powerful GUI software that makes building UIs a lot more straightforward, but none of that existed on the web. Right. So you know, the company was kind of founded on the premise that there is still this two-step process in web development. You design it, and then your designers throw it over the wall, and then you better hope that your developers are implementing it to spec, right? And then mm -hmm. there's all this back and forth. So, you know, what we really wanted to do is we wanted to empower the key stakeholders of the product design process, which are the product designers and the web designers, to be able to take it all the way so they can design build and launch their entire store all with webflow and they have control of it from beginning to end yeah so so you've always hated uh, building css but now that you're building webflow are are you not the the last one who's who's dealing with the css 
Is it not? You still doing all the CSS work? <laughs> um, so it's funny because we actually use Webflow to build Webflow. Um, because all of the code that we're creating, uh, all the code that anyone creates in a Webflow project is, in my opinion, and in a lot of other people's opinion, production quality. So just to give you an example for those that are more you know, technically savvy out there, um, we just launched CSS Grid in Webflow. So CSS Grid is a layout technology that exists on 99.9% .9 of browsers, but it's being used by less than 1% of websites. And it's because it's a very complicated CSS spec that requires deep technical know-how of how to write it and to make it responsive and to have it work in a really good fashion. So what Webflow does is like, because we have this abstraction layer over CSS, it makes it really, really easy to write production quality UIs and to have production quality code come out of it. So yes, like we, even though we are writing, you know, code underneath to build Webflow itself because it's a browser tool, um, <clears throat> we're actually more and more using Webflow to create production UIs that are used in Webflow. And in the future, we're also um, experimenting a lot with um, all the different JavaScript frameworks that are out there, like React and Vue and Angular. Like we'll be able to have Webflow essentially create all these components that developers can easily use. And that's that's something that you know I think is just the evolution of of, of Webflow's product. Mm -hmm. Cool. Have you like like always known you wanted to do something like you're doing right now, or or is this um, something? No, I did not. I mean, like when I was in high school, I when I was in high school, I um, really didn't know what to study. Like as I entered university, I essentially just happened on computer engineering because I like to play computer games and. Yeah. Um, I was like, all right, well, if I like computer games, I better know how to build a computer game, right? So maybe I could get better at, you know, Counter-Strike or whatever. Um, but then, you know, after finishing my degree, I didn't necessarily feel like I was an engineer. Like I was, I was feeling like the super technical aspects of being a computer engineer weren't necessarily appealing to me. And I had a lot of jobs that were just like, not really a good fit. Like, for example, I worked on storage area networks, right? I worked on large file systems. I worked on embedded systems. I worked on super low level things. And what I realized was that, you know, in order to <clears throat> use my degree and uh, have fun at it, I would need to move up the stack. So that's when I um, joined a company called Intuit here in the US. And mm -hmm. they're known for QuickBooks, Mint, uh, TurboTax. And that's really where I learned how amazing it is to build software products with the customer mindset. And I essentially happened on the fact that I really loved building for customers, like UIs, products that solve problems. And essentially, that's what kind of got my itch into startups. So I left into it and started my first startup, which was Vungle, which is a mobile advertising company. And then um, what I kind of realized was that you know, 
I, I didn't necessarily fit in the traditional sort of corporate software development job. I always liked hacking on my own speed, on my own projects, and like falling into a typical process where I was like working on something that I wasn't super passionate about. Um, it was just very difficult for me to do. So that's kind of how I, you know, became an entrepreneur. And that's how I kind of, you know, started the companies that I have started was because like, I've always enjoyed hacking on things that um, really tickled my fancy. Yeah. Do you feel like you can still do this nowadays or is your job different now? Yeah, my job is totally different now. So <laughs> it's, it's funny because I, you know, obviously was a CTO of, you know, both my startups. Then um, with Webflow, I, you know, essentially was an individual contributor for the first couple of years. And then as our team grew and grew, became more technical leader. But um, around like two years ago, um, I actually transitioned half of my time to growth and marketing. Um, we didn't have like a growth or marketing function in the company at the time. And it was just something that I felt like, okay, someone needed to look at growth and marketing. So <clears throat> I approached growth and marketing just as like building a new product, essentially. I did read books. I did uh, try and get a really good understanding of how other companies grew. But, you know, Something that I really did, which might be a little bit different nowadays, was I really took a really fresh, you know, perspective uh, from a marketing standpoint, which um, I think came from my technical background. I kind of like tried to like build marketing just like I would build a product. Um, so now I actually focus most of my time on growth and marketing. So we have a team of brand designers that I manage. We have a team of marketers that I manage. Um, but I still try and stay involved with the back end stuff um, that you know I worked on originally at Webflow. Yeah. When when you say building marketing, what do you mean exactly? Yeah. So here's the thing with Webflow. Like a lot of people look at Webflow and they're like, oh, it's just like another Squarespace. Oh, it's just another WordPress or, oh, it's just another e-commerce platform. And given that we're a very unique product in a very, very crowded space, I, I know it sounds almost like an oxymoron. Like what I set out to do was I tried to do everything sort of without regard of the status quo. So let's take our marketing site, for example. Like if you go to webflow.com today, it's not going to look like your typical SaaS tool marketing site. Um, you know, we really wanted to do two things. We really wanted to first give you a really solid idea of what the product does. And we also wanted to showcase what's possible in Webflow. So we have the Made in Webflow badge turned on on our, on our homepage because it was really completely all built in Webflow. So when someone's scrolling through this page, they're like, oh, wow. Like, not only are they getting what Webflow does, but they're also experiencing like the insane amount of power that Webflow gives you. So I approached this project, like the marketing site, almost as building a new product. Right. Like I really try to understand the customer. I really try to understand the technical 
sort of bits of what's available so that we can build this product, build this marketing site. And then we really try to measure and test it, right? So we like try to, you know, put it in front of a lot of customers, get their feedback on it. And <clears throat> that's, that's just one example of a marketing project that I was involved in that essentially resembled the product launch. And I think that's something that also has carried over to the culture of the marketing team where now, you know, the marketing team is kind of approaching a lot of different marketing initiatives, almost from a product point of view. I think it's very, I think it's very specific to how Webflow uh, is structured. Like the DNA of the company is very, very product focused. So I'm not sure if this is like applicable to other companies, but you know, I just thought that it was just suiting for for our marketing team to mirror the product excellence that we had. So we wanted to take a very product approach to a lot of the different marketing initiatives that we had. Yeah, when you, when you say you're a product company, I suppose that most most of the um, the customer acquisition is self guided. Or? Yeah, so we have no sales. Um, all of our our customers are self-serve, um, even our biggest customers like Dell. Um, you know, Dell has 55 of their UX, UI, and web designers using Webflow. And the reason why they grew from zero or one to 55 was because one designer found out about Webflow, tried it for a specific project, and they were like, well, we have this massive initiative next year to rebuild Dell.com. And I think Webflow would be the best tool. So what they did was they essentially had this entire RFP process where they contracted out, you know, different uh, people to test different tools. But what they ended up doing uh, for Webflow is they just signed up for a free account. And given that we're a freemium product and you can essentially use 95% of the features all for free, uh, they were able to discover that they can essentially use Webflow to rebuild Dell.com. So yeah. that's kind of that's kind of like the story of Webflow and our growth is that like we lead with our products. We mm -hmm. make sure that it has everything that we think Webflow should have. We make sure that we're solving for a very unique customer persona. Um, that customer persona for us is uh, a freelance web designer. And that freelance web designer is like the lowest common denominator. Like that person needs everything, right? Like that person needs hosting, that person needs design flexibility, that person needs symbols, interactions, multiple pages, they need a CMS. So then that's how we kind of like approached our, 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 cusp, uh, our product roadmap. And as a byproduct, um, we ended up building a product that is used by enterprises and small businesses as well as freelancers. Mm -hmm. uh, how long do you, do you see yourself working on Webflow um, from, as from today? Um, <clears throat> that's a that's a tough question, but I I honestly am approaching Webflow as the last company that I ever start. Like I want, I I truly believe that the mission that we have, which is to empower anyone to build software visually, is a mission that <clears throat> has all the right ingredients. Like a, it has the technical sort of challenge of being able to empower people to build software visually like that's just a problem that 
you know, people have been trying to solve for 45 years. Um, B, it also has large economic impact, right? Like if we think about, you know, the statistics, I think less than half of the world, uh, less than half of 1%, so less than half a percent of people in the world know how to write software, write code. If we can move that percentage from half a percent to 1% through digital development with tools like Webflow, just think of like the potential economic impact that that could make, right? Think of the number of entrepreneurs that are created now. Think of the number of companies that could be created now. And that's kind of like the road that we're set out on. And, you know, we're seeing really early signs that people are essentially building huge businesses using Webflow or at least validating their business on on top of Webflow and then potentially augmenting their Webflow site or, you know, recreating it in Heroku or whatever. So like, I really think that, you know, because of those two reasons, um, I really have no other reason to start another company. Like I believe the culture that we built, the the level of uh, intellectual intellect or caliber that we have on the team. Um, I believe the challenge that's ahead of us, um, the markets that we have yet to really tap into like e-commerce. I think those verticals are just so big, you know, like Webflow as a platform is just getting started and we're just starting to put in some of the big verticals like, CMS on top of it. E-commerce and CMS are huge, huge verticals, you know, like Shopify is 16 billion. Um, Webflow definitely has the opportunity to take a big portion of that or at least help grow the the overall e-commerce landscape. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of different things that I still want to do with the company, with the product. And um, I don't know, at least for the next three, four years, I'm going to be pretty busy, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, so I hear that basically for you growing Webflow, it's all about growing Webflow to its like full potential as a product. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I joke, I joke with my team that like, uh, Webflow literally has an infinitely large roadmap. Like the number the way I describe it to people is there's this slope of potential use cases that can be solved by software. And there's like another slope right below it of what existing software is capable of. And then there's a slope right below that of what visual development is capable of. So literally I see Webflow as, you know, a infinite, product roadmap kind of company like we can keep building stuff like we don't have to stop at web we can go into mobile after mobile what can we do we can go into apps we can go into you know the the massive cms market you know markets that are dominated by sitecore on the enterprise side to you know wordpress and the mid-market side so yeah there's just so many different ways for us to grow which is a really exciting thing about you know Webflow where it's at today. Yeah. Are you are you guys uh, bootstrapped or VC funded? I didn't look it up. I suppose VC funded. So we 
we raised a seed round. Um, we raised 2.8 after um, mm-hmm. YC in 2013. And uh, we've been growing with revenue ever since. So we haven't raised an institutional round or anything like that. Were your VCs fine with that? Well, they were seed investors. And I'm pretty sure all of them are very happy with their oh, investments. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Well, what, what other... Um, companies or founders would you personally look up to? Um, I mean, there's like the traditional, like sort of like Bezos's of the world, right? you know, like reading their you know, annual, annual shareholder report. I think for me, um, the one guy that I have been watching just because it's hyper relevant to you know, the work that I'm doing right now is Patrick Campbell from Mm-hmm. Uh, price, price intelligently um that guy is just a beast you know like the no, the kind of content that he produces all the conferences like he just looks like he's the energizer bunny of you know SaaS yeah. entrepreneurs you know it's it's pretty incredible um but the thing is is that his content is um a really good uh basis for a lot of different internal discussions that teams can have around pricing and how to think about packaging. So, um, yeah, you know, huge credit to him for helping shaping, uh, a lot of, uh, thoughts around Webflow packaging and pricing. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Patrick was on the, the show earlier. It was episode nine. Uh, it was also a really, really nice episode. Yeah. Um, actually you you talked about some of the things the company is trying to do or where it's trying to go Uh, what what is it exactly that you do um, like like how does your day look like at the moment a working day obviously Uh, my day probably looks quite similar to any other founder that's kind of um involved in a company that's at an inflection point. So, you know, Webflow is at 80 employees, you know, two years ago it was at like 35. So Mm -hmm. our operations are, our operations are huge. Like how we want to grow the company is a really, really big focus of ours right now. Um, So the founders are really focused on thinking about growth, but not in terms of how to increase top of line, but growth of the company. And, the reason why we're focused on that aspect is because if we, you know, don't take the right steps now while we're at 80, then we're really going to suffer once we're at 100, 120, 150. So that's kind of the mindset that the founders have right now, which is like, how do we transition away from day-to-day decision makers and ICs um, to founders that are managing managers, uh, founders that are managing a mission, founders that are instilling values, founders that are setting a good example for operational excellence. So those are the things that kind of are top of mind. So at least from a day-to-day perspective, I'm reviewing a lot of different material that the team has written up about, you know, the strategic direction of where we're going. I'm reviewing goals. I'm checking in with people on goals. and then recruiting, you know, like we're always looking to bring in new uh, executive talents across, you know, product, engineering, marketing, operations, um, HR. 
so that those are the the, the big um, big things at the moment. Yeah, which of these things give you most energy? Because you said before that uh, you really like the, the hacking around, hacking things together. Uh, yeah. But what are the things that you do now? Do you most enjoy? I still enjoy that to a certain degree, but um, my engineers don't really like it when I code anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so what I do instead is um, I write a lot of GitHub issues about things that I think we should hack on. I spend mm -hmm. time talking to product managers and engineers about why they're important. Um, I spend a lot of time on the prioritization of our product roadmap and the allocation of engineers and trying to think about like, okay, is this the most important thing that we're working on? Why? So that we can clearly articulate it from a go-to-market and marketing perspective. So, um, yeah, I might not be hacking and I'm, I'm probably going to hate myself for not, you know, writing code for, you know, this stretch of time. but. Um, I'm, I'm hacking on something else, I'd say. I'm hacking on building a long-term, sustainable company um, that is most capable of achieving its mission. So I think that's another version of hacking that might not be discussed as much. Mm -hmm. Understand. Uh, how, how long are your, your working days, more or less? Um. You know, with a six-month-old baby, which you might have uh, heard in the background on this call, um, it's definitely it's definitely a, uh, a mixed bag. I think Webflow definitely has the flexibility and the affordance for me to be flexible, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, just like this morning, you know, I had a pretty rough night with, with the baby, so taking this call from home. And then maybe I'll go into the office later, or maybe not. So I yeah. think, um, I guess we're pretty fortunate in that we are cash flow positive and we're default alive, so to speak. So, you know, it doesn't mean that we're not working as hard, but it gives us the ability to work smarter. Yeah. Yeah. How are you managing all that with the baby? Uh... Yeah. I mean, day to day, it's been amazing. I have an incredible wife that's super supportive. Um, you know, so what I try to do is I'll, I'll try to see the baby at least twice in the day. So I'll wake up early, play with her in the morning, and then I'll try to be home by six o'clock so that I can give her her daily bath and then put her to sleep. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not around for the bulk of the day, um, but, you know, that's you know, hopefully what the weekend will be about and hopefully something that, um, you know, is okay. <laughs> Long term. Yeah. But yeah, being a first time parent is amazing. So I think it's just, uh, I'm, I'm just incredibly fortunate to have Webflow at a place where it is, where I, where I can rely on the strength of my team to be able to run things day to day. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. that's huge and um, being in a situation where we have uh, growth that's supported by customers as opposed to VC is also amazing right like, yeah. I think if we had a boss right on our board that's you know telling us what to do and when to do it um, it kind of changes the dynamics of your day-to-day -day a little bit and 
at least from the mental psyche perspective, it would it would also probably impact our our day to day quite a bit. Yeah, definitely makes a lot of difference. So, outside work, um, what is it that you like to spend your time on when you're when you're like not working? Apart from the baby, of course. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, I'm kind of addicted to tennis at the moment. So, like, yeah. I try to I try to play tennis. Um, I'll probably play, you know, once, twice a week if I'm lucky. Um, and yeah, it's a really good release, and it's also really good exercise. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's. Uh, it's a, it's a healthy habit or a healthy hobby. So, so, so I think, or so I tell myself. <laughs> yeah. Where are you actually based? Um, based in San Francisco, California. Oh, cool. Uh, is, uh, which, which side of the, the valley are you? Or is it really uh, San Francisco? Yeah. I'm, I'm literally right in the middle of the city, right in Knob Hill. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, which, which other startups are close, close to your office? So our offices are in Soma and pretty much every startup is close to our office. I think um, YC released a list of the top 100 YC companies um, based mm -hmm. on valuation. And I think 67 of 100 um, top YC companies are based in San Francisco. So right above us, there's a AI company called Scale. Um, mm -hmm. Across the street is Airbnb. Uh, two blocks down is Pinterest. Um, you have Zendesk on Market. Like essentially, um, within just like one square mile, you probably have you know, counting Uber, probably two hundred billion dollars in terms of valuation of startups just uh, in one square mile. Yeah. So it's it's. Uh, pretty exciting place to base your company so we, we actually have a team of 80 right now and about 25 or 30 of them are in san francisco and then we have actually a lot of employees and, or full-time contractors that we treat as employees all around the world mm -hmm. we have two in finland and we have um two, one in france few in the uk poland uh germany and berlin uruguay um, Canada. Um, so we we're actually pretty globally distributed, but all the sort of go-to-market team, the product managers, and um, some of the key leaders are are based in San Francisco. Yeah. So the the remote workers are mostly developers. Or? Uh, developers, customer support is is a big um, uh, contingent of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did did you hire people remotely because it was expensive in San Francisco or other reasons? Yeah, I was just looking at uh, um, a link on Hacker News the other day where it showed um, the average compensation across all the big tech companies. And it's pretty crazy. Like it's like full, you know, stock and base comp, you know, some engineers are, you know, pushing 400, $450,000 a year in total compensation. Mm -hmm. So 
definitely from a hiring perspective, um, we look at remote as an advantage, um, given that we're semi-bootstrapped at this point. Um, but, you know, we're also looking at remote as uh, a, a diversity aspect as well. You know, mm-hmm. like I love having our, our QA people in uh, Europe talk about how Eastern European countries are hesitant to use Webflow because of the price and because we bill in USD. So, you know, then we, you know, started looking at localized pricing and trying to see what we can do to improve adoption around the world. So I think there's a, there's a lot of benefits to not having everyone in the Silicon Valley bubble. You're reminded Mm -hmm. that, you know, the world is really big. There's a lot of people of a lot of different varying viewpoints and creating a company and a culture that is diverse is something that's, that's really important to us. Yeah, definitely. Slowly wrapping up, um, what's the latest good book you've read and why did you choose to read it? Oh, man. So I'm not going to choose a business book because I feel like everyone chooses a business book. Um, mm-hmm. I actually read um, a book about a man-eating tiger in Siberia. And okay. the book is just called Tiger. Uh, it's called The Tiger, A True Story of Vengeance and Survival. Um, it's by this author. His name is John Val- Valent. Um, and it talks about a, a Moor or a Siberian tiger that <clears throat> essentially tracks down a hunter and uh, hunts him. So it's essentially like this story that unravels about it's 50% na- nature cons- conservation and it's 50% story of this tiger that tracks down this hunter. And um, given that it's set in Siberia, it's a part of the world that I had like had no history about. And I thought it was a really good book that um, was the right mix of nature and, uh, and conservation as well as a really good plot. So if you're looking for some, maybe not light reading, but not like a typical business book. Um, I definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, it sounds exciting. It's uh, and and different, or is is that just the title? Yeah, the ti- the title is literally called the Tiger. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a yeah solid book. Yeah, is there anything you wish you'd have known when you started out? Um. Yes. So. I would advise and like, I would advise myself, you know, five years ago, um, given that we were a very technical team and very product focused, starting to surround yourself with go to market expertise in the very early stages of your product development would be super crucial. Like Mm -hmm. go to market means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but to us, it's, finding your ideal customer persona, talking about why that person is the best person to solve for, and then figuring out how to cater your product and technology to solve for it that way. I think that would have given us, you know, probably 18 months um, of faster uh, product market fit. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of, 
early technical teams don't really focus on that too much and kind of resort to, you know, I don't know, relying on a sales team or a sales hire to help develop that. And I think that's ultimately something that founders should embody. You know, founders should create something not just because it's cool or it's good technology or because they think it exists, but founders really need to think about who's going to buy it and why they should buy it. And that's something that um, I wish I definitely knew early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last, uh, what's the best piece of advice you ever got? Oh, man. I'm terrible at this kind of question. Um, <laughs> I would say... Um, I wouldn't say this is regret, but at least one of the mental frameworks that have helped me a lot was Bezos's regret minimization framework. Um, you know, as a founder, you're making decisions all the time. Uh, and I think the regret minimization framework is something that I use pretty often when I'm trying to understand the impact of a certain decision. I think there's a, the, the Stripe COO was on the Saster podcast and she talked about um, <clears throat> decisions that you couldn't walk back from. Um, mm-hmm. And those were the ones that you really had to focus on and spend a lot of time on. So I think that is a really interesting insight because, you know, when you're running a company, there's a lot of different things that you could walk back from. Um, and in those instances, you should just move uncomfortably fast and bias towards action. But trying to understand which decisions are actually really, really important because you can't easily back away from it. Um, those are the ones that you have to really keep an eye on. And those are the ones you may regret. So that's not necessarily advice, but at least a mental model that I've found useful in my day to day. Yeah. That's very sound advice. Thank you again, Brian, for being on founder coffee. Um, I also send you over a little package of actual founder coffee in the next few weeks. So that awesome. you can enjoy at home. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys.